Today's New Testament lesson is from the book of Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 to 39. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who is said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. In those days Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God indeed. And thank you, Grace Whitmer, for reading our lesson. Uh, from the New Testament this morning and to all of you who are with us in worship, wherever you are, it is a great joy to welcome you and to share in this time of worship with you. I remind you that today is also a service of word and table. And so at the conclusion, after the message, uh, before our benediction, Shelby and I will be celebrating communion together. And if you are prepared at home, we can do it virtually together. If not, we'll simply be in a time of contemplation and prayer with you. And so we look forward to that time as well. Also want to thank Chris Wyatt for his incredible leadership with our finance team. And again, with him, encourage you all to get your pledges in, uh, in these next few weeks as we continue to bless God and thank God with the gifts that God has given to us as we commit ourselves to kingdom ministry in 2021. Well, this morning, we're continuing our series that we have chosen to call The Family Tree. And if you were with us last week in our introductory sermon, you know that we traced the genealogy of Jesus last week in Matthew's account. The Gospel of Matthew begins, the introduction to the New Testament, in fact, is the genealogy of Jesus. And according to Matthew's narrative, Matthew goes back 42 generations all the way back to Father Abraham by way of King David. And of course, in that text, the lineage ends with Joseph, who is referred to in Matthew's lesson as the husband of Mary, but not as the father of Jesus. And so maybe you're wondering why all the fuss with Joseph if he is not actually the biological father of Jesus. And that's a good question. Of course, the genetics of the text are not as crucial as the legal ramifications of the text. Jesus indeed was the legal son of Joseph with all those rights and privileges. He was a child of Abraham and a son of David. And of course, the designation son of David became a messianic title for the one to come. 
Now, all of this family tree business reminds me of an old Mark Twain quote that I heard last week. Don't waste good money finding your family tree. Go into politics and someone will do it for you. Truer words were never spoken. But this morning in this text, in Luke's gospel, notice it contains an implicit reference to Mary's lineage. Now, you know as well as I do that this passage is often referred to by scholars and Bible teachers as the Annunciation or the birth announcement. It is actually two birth announcements that begins Luke's gospel. It is a birth announcement within another birth announcement. In fact, as Grace read the text, it begins like this, chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, well, the sixth month of what? The sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Who is Elizabeth? Elizabeth was actually a relative of Mary, some say a cousin, I think an aunt or maybe a great aunt. Elizabeth was the wife of Zechariah, who you may recall was the clergy on call that night in Jerusalem in the temple when the angel Gabriel announced that in spite of their old age and infertility, that they would bear a child who would turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and would prepare the way for the one to come. Of course, you can imagine this news was so shocking to this old priest, to Zechariah, that he couldn't speak for nine months. Now, I don't have to tell you that sometimes the pregnancy goes smoother when dad keeps his mouth shut. I think I hear an amen through the camera from some of you. Luke chapter 1 verse 5 says that Elizabeth was actually a descendant of Aaron. That name should ring a bell. Aaron was the older brother of Moses, three years his senior, brother also to Miriam, who was the music leader in the family. Aaron is called, history calls him the first high priest of the Hebrew people. He was a Levite, which means he was a part of a priestly tribe. So if in fact Elizabeth and Mary were kinfolk, then Mary too is a descendant of Aaron, All of that to say that the son that is born to Mary has both royal and priestly pedigree. Mary received a visit from the same angel that Zechariah received a visit from, Gabriel, whose name means God is mighty. In fact, you see Gabriel the first time in the Old Testament in Daniel. In this case, Gabriel is sent by God to announce two births, both births. But there's a major difference between these two births. One of them is improbable and the other is impossible. Now, I want to think with you for just a few moments this morning before we come to the table. I want to think with you for a few moments about the second annunciation. It's a mystery to me why God would choose a teenage girl engaged to a blue-collar man in an insignificant town. She had no position among the people. She is not described, as is her Aunt Elizabeth, as righteous in terms of observing the law. She is essentially powerless. 
She's young in a world that values age. She's female in an age that's ruled by men. She's poor in a culture that blesses wealth. She's rural in a nation that esteems city folk. She has no husband or child to validate her existence. And yet the angel comes to this girl and says, listen to this, hail, lovely lady. Sounds a bit formal for a child. And I can imagine Mary looking around the room for an older woman and saying to the angel, who, me? Luke then describes this child's initial response. She was perplexed. Well, that's an understatement. She was scared to death. In fact, the Greek word for perplex is diaterasso. It means she was thoroughly distressed. Now, anybody who's ever experienced uh, an epiphany, a revelation of God, knows the feeling. Such encounters don't always initially produce cool and calm. In fact, sometimes they produce shock and awe. The shepherds felt it. On the night that Mary's child was born, Luke says an angel appeared to them as they were tending sheep, and they were terrified. The old King James Version says they were sore afraid. Moses had a similar moment in Midian when God appeared in that burning bush and called him by name, I'm sending you to Pharaoh, and Moses could only say in fear, who, me? <laughs> Here am I, send my brother Aaron. It's the same for Simon Peter. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus was in the boat. He was responsible for the great catch of fish after a night of empty nets and Peter, sensing he was no ordinary rabbi, said in fear, depart from me, Lord. You've got the wrong man. It's not always peace and joy that we encounter in a revelation. Sometimes it's diaterasso. It's fear and deep distress. And Luke says Mary was thoroughly stressed. The angel Gabriel, of course, calms her down and explains that she has found favor with God and that she, in fact, will conceive and bear a Savior. And, of course, Mary had several good reasons as to why this plot was unfeasible, not the least of which was the fact that she was a virgin. She had never been intimate with a man. She was, however, betrothed. Jewish girls were commonly betrothed by age 12 and a half, about the time of puberty in the Jewish tradition. The betrothal in that day was much more binding than our engagement. In fact, it was a legal arrangement between two families. Papers were drawn up and signed. Money was exchanged. And the only way out was death or divorce. In fact, Jewish tradition suggests that couples in Galilee were chaperoned during this phase and that Mary would continue to live with her parents for 12 months, after which the groom would come and take her into his own home and consummate the marriage. But the marriage 
hadn't happened when the angel came. How can it be, she asked, since I'm a virgin? Now, it's one thing for a barren old couple in their old age to conceive, but a virgin? It's inconceivable. And so, naturally, she's thoroughly distressed. I love the writing of Frederick Beekner, theologian and author, who has written about this scene. He depicts this scene in such a way that Mary is not the only one who is afraid. The angel is also afraid. I've noticed that sometimes the message strikes fear not only in the one who receives it, but in the one who delivers it. Listen to Beekner's depiction from Gable's perspective. She struck him as hardly old enough to have a child at all, let alone this child. But he had been entrusted with a message to give her, and he gave it. He told her what the child was to be named, who he was to be, and something about the mystery that was to come upon her. You mustn't be afraid, Mary, he said. And as he said it, he only hoped that she would not notice beneath the great golden wings that he himself was trembling with fear to think that the whole future of creation hung on the answer of that little girl. How can it be, she asked. And Gabriel responds, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High God will overshadow you. I love that word. The word overshadow is an allusion to the tabernacle in the Old Testament. In fact, Deuteronomy 40 verse 35 says that when the people would gather in the tent of meeting to worship, a cloud would appear and envelop the tent where they had come together to praise God, and the Shekinah glory of the Lord would eclipse the faithful, would overshadow those who had come to worship. After making that statement, Gabriel then affirms what I think is the oldest creed in the book. He says to Mary, nothing will be impossible with God. If a barren old couple can bear a child, if a teenage virgin can conceive, if a dead carpenter can be raised from a tomb, if a huddled group of fearful fishermen and tax collectors can birth a church, what can God not do? In fact, the child that Mary would give birth to one day would say himself as an adult, with God all things are possible. And then in this encounter, there's a moment of truth. Mary has a decision to make. When God comes calling, he doesn't coerce or manipulate. God doesn't stiff arm or force. In fact, we can say no to God if we choose, and sometimes, why wouldn't we? It's too risky. 
it's too hard, it's too costly, it's too difficult. We can say no to God and God will move on because overshadowing doesn't mean overbearing, but she didn't say no. She said yes. I am your servant, she said, let it be according to your word. Now it seems ironic to me that 33 years after that event, that Mary's child would himself face a moment of truth in a garden called Gethsemane, where on a Thursday evening with the weight of the world on his shoulders, he would echo that same prayer. He would say, Lord, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, I am your servant. Let it be to me according to your word. In other words, your will be done. And I wonder where this man learned to pray like that. I think we know. Like mother, like son, this lovely lady showed her son the way, and he became the way. Now, like most of us, in a visitation, in an encounter, a revelation, she had no idea what this yes would mean. She had no idea what affirming God's plot for her, where it would lead, how it would play out. In fact, in the very next chapter, Luke 2, when she brought this baby to the temple for purification at the age of eight days, old brother Simeon did the honors. He took the child in his arms and blessed him. He prophesied over him. He said, and I quote, he'll be a light to the Gentiles and a glory to all of Israel. And then the old priest looked at Mary and said, behold, this child is appointed for the falling and rising of many in Israel and many will oppose him and a sword will pierce your own heart to Mary. And boy, did it ever. Mary would bear the greatest pain that a parent can ever bear, the death of her own child. I think for Mary that this is the family tree. The child would grow up and say to his descendants, Whoever comes after me must deny himself, herself, pick up their cross, and follow me. That's our lineage. That's the family tree. Whoever does the will of my father is, said Jesus, my mother, is my brother, is my sister, is my family. And she said, yes. It's a dangerous thing sometimes to say yes. When you say yes to God, the impossible becomes possible. When I say yes to God, the inconceivable becomes conceivable. 
When you say yes to God, the unbearable becomes bearable and the unbelievable becomes believable and you will discover an overshadowing and nothing will be impossible for God. She said yes. Last word. After a year's engagement, they finally tied the knot. They got married five weeks ago. I not only gave her away, I officiated the wedding. I've never done a wedding quite like it. I never will again. In 38 years, I've done literally hundreds of weddings, but nothing like this. Our daughter requested of me, her dad, before the service, having a first look with me, not only her husband, but with me, because she knew that I'd be emotional and she wanted to get the tears out of the way before the service, which we did. At that first look, she surprised me with a gift. She gave me a handkerchief with a message in needlepoint that said, and I quote, Dad, of all the walks we've taken together, this one is my favorite. As the first man I ever loved, when you give me away, know that I will always be your little girl. Love, Haley. I was glad she gave it to me before the service. In the service itself, I asked her the questions, and she said, yes, I do, I will, and he did the same. After the service, we were at the reception, and Sherry and I had a surprise for the couple. We had invited our friend Jim Chapman, an art teacher at Brentwood Academy, to drive to North Georgia and paint the reception as it was happening. And so the whole time that we were there, during the eating of the meal, the feasting, the toasts, and the dancing, Jim was up front with his easel and brushes, painting the event as it unfolded. We wanted them to have the canvas that depicted their yes. We've seen the painting, if you look closely, you can find the bride and the groom, their center stage, of course. We can find ourselves, parents, grandparents, family members. We're all in the picture. And we gave it to them as a reminder, lest they ever forget the covenant that they made that night with God. It's an ongoing witness to the mystery of God's grace, wherein two became one. I think Luke has done something akin to that for us in this scene. He has painted a picture of Mary's yes to a divine proposal. And when we hear it, though we've heard it time and time again, when we imagine it, when we envision it anew, it's a reminder to us of the oldest creed in the book that nothing is impossible with God. And God wants you in the picture. He wants me in the family tree. 
He wants our lives to be an annunciation to the world of good news. And all you have to say is yes. And when you do, you will experience an overshadowing presence and the inconceivable becomes conceivable in you, in me, in the family tree to the glory of God. Amen.